You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody. For those of you watching online, good to see you guys too. Well, if you're just joining us, uh, this is week three of our teaching series called Holy Sexuality, which is really trying to uncover and learn, like, what is God's design for sexuality? Why did he make us this way? Why are we sexual beings? What is his goal? What is he trying to teach us? Week one, we took a look at Genesis 1 and 2 all the way from there to Revelation 19, and just said that God has a beautiful design for our sexuality, that it's not gross, it's not this sick thing, it's actually a beautiful thing. Last week, week two, we were in John chapter 8, which I just I think is one of the most beautiful chapters in all of Scripture. This story of sin and self-righteousness, this woman in the middle of a crowd, and kind of the big takeaway from last week was, if you're going to start hating sexual sin, the best place to start is my own. And because of grace, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so this week is a very special week for us. We do have uh, two guests, Lori and Matt Krieg, with us. And they're going to share their story of sexual brokenness and healing in Jesus. And so I'm going to introduce them in a little bit. But before we do any of that, um, a quick little like PSA for you. A couple things. Uh, first off, we're going to talk this morning about things like pornography. We're going to talk about same-sex attraction. So just want to let you know uh, to be prepared for that, for those of you watching online and for those in the room as well. Also, when you hear Lori and Matt's story, um, I'm, I'm struck by something. Um, when you read the Gospels, do you ever notice like, how many of the first Christians are storytellers? John 4, woman at the well, she just goes like, hey, you guys got to come meet this guy named Jesus. He told me everything I ever did. Andrew, when he goes to get Peter, he's like, oh, you got to come meet this guy named Jesus. They're just telling stories. And so we get to hear a story today. And here's my word of caution for you before I introduce Lori and Matt. There's a very strong temptation, especially um, when we hear stories of sexuality, to want to like copy and paste somebody's story on our own or on somebody else's that we know. And go, well, I hear you talking about brokenness like this, and I know somebody else who's thinking the same way, and so take this and just like put it up there. And my word for you as your pastor is please resist that urge, um, because behind the stories is Jesus. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, even though our stories are all different. There is no one-size-fits-all story for sexuality. And I think we all know that. Um, and that's why we need a Savior. So, quick introduction. I'm just going to read this right off of you guys' page, if that's okay. Lori is the president of Impossible Ministries, a coaching, consulting, teaching, podcasting ministry with a mission to equip Jesus followers with a gospel-centered approach to marriage and sexuality. Lori serves on the board of directors for the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, which is um, a group that has definitely formed a lot of our thinking as an elder board and the staff team in these days and is earning a master's degree from Wheaton Graduate School in Evangelism and Leadership. Lori most often links arms with her husband, Matt. Matt is a licensed therapist, site director of counseling at Second Story Counseling in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I don't know how those people got through the door. We were trying to screen them at the door. What are they doing here? 
Matt's primary focus is on helping people wrestling with issues related to sexuality, addiction, infidelity, adult survivors of sexual abuse, in order to eliminate shame and grip practical hope. Um, Matt is also a self-proclaimed Argyle expert, which I definitely have a deep appreciation for. So could we welcome Lori and Matt Krieg? So glad you guys are here. We've got a table with water and everything. We have comfy what? couches. This is I'm excited. Great. We were talking about North Canton um, when you guys were on your way down here. They drove down yesterday, and I basically told them that North Canton is pretty much the Paris of the Midwest. Yeah, seems like that. I don't I know get why they're vibe. laughing. <laughs> I'm not sure why they. Why are you laughing? That's not true. Wouldn't, I think so. Am I muted? No, no I'm you're not. good. You're I was going to say I grew up in Cincinnati, and we actually have an Eiffel Tower down there. So wouldn't that make that Cincinnati? the Paris of the Midwest? You know what? Maybe we're like the Budapest of the Midwest. If that's yeah. like, it rhymes. I don't know. Budapest there we go. The so. Um, well, let's start with your story, um, sure. and Matt, we'll start with you. Just tell us, just kind of hit the highlights, your story of, of faith and sexuality. Yeah, so, I mean, my, my story began as a young boy, um, growing up and just feeling attractions. You know, I, I had a crush on girls, probably since the age of kindergarten. Um, so that was always something that I walked with, but it really didn't deepen, and it really didn't actually shape into something until I remember walking into a friend's garage to get a basketball out of like the ball bin. And I look up and on the wall was a calendar. Um, and I was intrigued. I was about 10 years old, 10, 11. And I mean, so I was stunned kind of there. What kind of calendar? That's it, was a, it was a swimsuit calendar. Sorry, I don't, you said the, the PSA. Gosh, I don't this know isn't how. a Norman Rockwell no. yes. Kincaid calendar. Stunned it was, it was wolves howling at the moon. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, was, it was a swimsuit calendar. There we go. And so I, I was stunned by that, and I'm like, okay, intrigued. And then I remember my friend's dad being there and seeing me notice this and, hmm. and asking, do you want to take that home with you? Oh, wow. And... Well. I'm like, oh, okay. And then they're like, well, let's ask your parents. And then I remember asking my parents, and they were like, no, we, we're yeah. not going to do that. But that was really the extent of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so my, my intrigue had been piqued, and this was kind of the dawn of accessible internet and everything. And so I remember how that shifted from intrigue to, to then moving into spaces that I never should have gone. Yeah. Um, and I remember having friends who brought me picture printouts. They're like, yeah, you can find this on the internet. It's free. And I'm like, oh. Hmm. And as a young boy, I, I, that was when pornography kind of got its grips on me. And it slowly deepened and deepened throughout my junior high and high school years um, into something where I, I knew I was doing wrong. Hmm. And I remember going to college and, and really being a part of a group of guys at my, at my college, Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, um, Forgive us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the guys that we were with, we, we all made it a point to kind of eradicate that from our life. And so there was a lot of fighting and a lot of camaraderie and a lot of that like togetherness in that group to the point where like I was making strides and thought I was doing well. Hmm. But then come to find out that after college ended, after we got married, 
And I thought that was going to be the answer. Like, I won't struggle with this anymore after I'm married because then I'll have this wonderful avenue that God has designed. Um, but I remember feeling so alone. I was in school getting my master's in counseling. Lori was working, like, at 3 in the morning at Macy's doing, like, putting shelves together and all that kind of stuff. And so we were like ships in the night. We would talk on Sunday and be like, well, I guess I won't see you until Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I remember falling back into pornography and fell hard mm. to the point where it became a daily habit yeah. and self-hatred and shame and guilt. And, and for the first time, that shame really hit me mm-hmm. as something that I'm not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. And, and it wasn't until I was probably 29 years old, 30 years old, uh, we were in California, we were missionaries, and I had been harboring this secret pornography addiction. Um, and, and remember being at this point where I'm wrestling with it, and I'm like, I, I don't know what to do, and God's calling me to tell Lori. Wow. And for the first time, being able to be honest with her and to say, I, I need your forgiveness, I need, and I need help. So, and to be clear at this point, you're a Christian. You're walking with oh, yeah. the Lord. Like, you love Jesus. Yes. And there's this thing in your life that, like, you're kind of, like, angry at, but it's also causing this, like, self-hatred yeah. thing. Yeah. That's a really complex, yeah, a really complex I mean, place Yeah, I was read. a Christian since I was born, basically. Yeah. I grew up in the church. Yeah. You know, got baptized at the age of eight just really to be able to have communion, to be honest with you. You were um, hungry. I was hungry I in church, and so I wanted that snack. <laughs> Um, but then, like, rededicated, made the actual, like, kind of grown-up commitment okay. when I was a freshman, sophomore in high school. Okay. And so, I mean, I was a Christian. I was, I was doing everything that I knew how to do, but it wasn't until I was that 29, 30 years old and, and really felt like God personalized that. I knew my sin, hmm. and I knew his grace over my sin, not just the grace that kind of universally covers. Yeah, yeah, very personal. That personal, personal touch. And so that, that period is something that started my journey kind of coming out of pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't get too much into that because I think... All right, let's, let's hit pause on that because yeah. I want to hear Lori's answer to that question. Tell yeah. us like your story, faith and sexuality, yeah. how these things come out. So I was born at a very young age. <laughs> <laughs> I always have to do that joke. I don't know. It's my one dad joke, I promise. Uh, But I was born with a few different things. I have 11 brothers and sisters. So any other big families in the audience who have, oh, hi. How many? Six? Ten? Oh, there's ten. How many you got? Okay, we'll have to talk. What's your number? What dysfunction (laughs) did that cause in you? Just kidding. It was great. It honestly was a ton of fun. It was like a cross between like, the best summer camp ever in like a one-room schoolhouse because summers are for learning, kids. Uh, <laughs> but I really did love it. Um, my parents are amazing. So I have this big family, and I also have what I call, and you've probably heard it, St. Augustine talked about, but this God-shaped hole in my heart. Uh, fun fact, Matt and I were actually both born with a heart murmur, a real hole in our hearts. But there's also this metaphorical one uh, where we have this need for God. And I, like you all, I went to different things instead of God to get that sense of being, belonging and love and inclusion. I went to performance. Do you like me, family? Am I okay? 
to people-pleasing. And also, I felt from a young age these attractions toward the same sex. And when I was five, I didn't even know how to name that. It was just like I felt this draw, but I was also growing up in 80s, 90s, moral majority America, where the cultural conversation when it came to homosexuality, and I'm doing that because I, we, we'll talk about why we maybe shouldn't say homosexuality this afternoon, yeah. uh, but about these same-sex attractions, um, LGBT things, it was, the language was like, there's this war on marriage and the gay homosexual agenda is gonna come and murder babies in their cribs. That was my interpretation. <laughs> Could be wrong, I don't know. But that was my sense. And so when I felt this inside, I wasn't like, this is my version of sexual brokenness that right, I should surrender right. to the Lordship of Christ like everyone else is called to right, do. No, 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 right, no. Right. No, you gotta like isolate that and like not think about it. So I tried that for a while until I was in college and I was Christian. Christian University, and I met another girl, also a Christian, who felt the same way about me as I did about her. And those longings to be seen and known and loved inside that hole in our heart, we call them core needs. We have those good needs, and it felt like a piece of them were seen and known and loved when I was with her. I mean, yes, I had Jesus, but this felt very tangible. Now, I didn't choose this. I chose to be in a relationship. I didn't choose the desires. It was just, it made sense. And yet I also, what made sense was I actually believed God's design for marriage. Mm. So I had this natural to me draw toward women and toward her, natural because of the fall. And yet I also believe God's design for marriage and when Paul says there's this war inside of us in Romans and in Colossians, Galatians, it was so hot inside of me that I thought I had to kill myself in order to, it's funny to say to exist, because I thought to be in the church, you had to be straight. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to be straight. So if to be a Christian is to be straight, then I should just die. Mm -hmm. Or I can come out as a lesbian atheist, because apparently you have to be straight you to be, be in this crew. Yeah, together, right? right. If that right. goes, if straight equals Christian, yeah. then I'm gonna go over here because I, I don't know how to cut this part out of me. I remember looking down at my body and I'm like, which part's the gay part? Is it the appendix? <laughs> if I get that cut out, is it gone? <laughs> and so there's this war, and one of my friends was like, so you probably shouldn't want to kill yourself. And I was like, fair. And so I go and start seeing a therapist who was less like a therapist and more like, I don't know, like Yoda, Dumbledore. Am I allowed to say Dumbledore? Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, Just Jedi throw, Master. Throw Gandalf in there. Gandalf. Gandalf, yes. the Christian oh. wizard. So <laughs> the Christian wizard, I love him. Um, she was more like, she just, like when you met, you know when you meet people and you're like, they know God. And like, it didn't even seem like she like walked on the earth. She like floated like six inches off the earth. And so she, yeah, she was helping me engage these, these depressive feelings I had, but she helped me to think about my heart. Not what I was doing sexually with my body, although that's not unimportant, but I knew what Leviticus said in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6. I knew all of that, and I even believed the Bible said that. I just wanted to know how to live without wanting to kill myself. So she would ask me really weirdo questions like this. So Lori, when you're envisioning the ideal perfect woman in your head, 
what do you picture? I'm like, that's super awkward. You're like 60. I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> but then, you guys, I was so shocked because the words that came tumbling out of my mouth were not sexual in nature. Yeah. They were heart words. Yeah. I want to be seen and known and loved and plung. And she looked me in the eyes, which is the antidote to shame. And she said, those are great things. Mm. You're just looking in the wrong place. Mm. Now, the right place was not to go and find a dude, although we are married. That's a whole other conversation. We'll get to it, I promise. The, and, but I said I was sassy. I was real sassy. I lost all my sassiness, you'll notice. <laughs> but, <laughs> was like, nah. I've been redeemed of that. <laughs> Now, I, I said, well, the answer better not be Jesus because I mm. know him and I've tried him and he doesn't work. Mm. And she's like, well, the answer is Jesus. <laughs> but you have some barriers between those good needs of your heart to be seen and known and loved and the need meter of your soul. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wounds, some from the church. <laughs> pain in my own life, lies, yes, the sin that I was engaging in, but all types of sin, performance, people pleasing, y'all, I've got a lot of sins, not just one. And so she helped me to work on some of those issues and that to grieve, to lament, and her tools were not some weird, fandangled, like orientation change therapy. Her tools were spiritual disciplines. Like lament and learning who God really was, that he wasn't some sky judger who wanted to just backhand me because I was the worst Christian. That's who I felt I was. Mm. But he loved me. He was right here. He stoops down. He writes in the dust. He hung out with the riffraff Mm. of which we are all riffraff. And she helped me to encounter the love of God. And do you know what the love of God does? Like a bajillion things. But Ephesians 3 says, may you know this love, though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. But then you will know the fullness, if you get to know more this love, of life and power that comes from God. Knowing and experiencing God's love in those deepest places of need and shame in Mm -hmm. our hearts, God's love empowers us to die to self daily. Mm. And so that's what I'm still doing. All right, we're good. Everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> so I thank you guys so much just for leading with such clarity and for leading with such courage. Um, so let's, let's back off the heat a bit. I'm going I'm to ask it. the relatively non-heaty question is... <laughs> Okay, so like shame and lust figures in, into both of your stories, all right? So yeah. any other Sunday, this would be like the heat moment, but yes, this, this, this moment. is going to be the background, okay. like low heat moment. What is lust? Um, wh- what is that thing, right? It's, it, it, it figures, it's like connected to shame, and how does this thing, how does this thing work for us? Matt? Yeah, so, so lust, I, I talk about lust a lot, counseling, and for, for those of you kind of on this half of the room, I'm not looking at you because I can't turn my neck to the left. <laughs> He loves so, you over here. I'm, he just so can't look clear. left right Hi. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, lust is, is more than just attraction. It's not just I see someone that is attractive. Lust is a consumptive mindset. 
mm. toward that person or that individual. Lust is something that when I see someone, they become a tool that I can use for my own gratification. Uh, okay. And so I can see someone who's attractive and have zero lust. I don't know, there's a book um, called Unwanted by a guy named Jay Stringer, a great, great book. Um, but he talks about if you examine your lusts, your, your fantasies, mm -hmm. um, and this is about, I think the subtitle is how our sexual brokenness can show us the way to healing or something like that. Um, but if you look at your lusts with a dispassionate mind, almost like an, an operator performing surgery on a, on a mm -hmm. medical table, like you, that operator is going to be approaching the person in front of them much differently than if they just saw this person at the beach. And so, lust is not something that's just based on beauty. It's what my mind is doing with that internally. And so, for, for me, the best way that I can put it is it's a consumptive mindset toward people. Yeah. It, I love that, I mean, in that word consumptive, it almost reduces somebody to an object. You use the, use the word the tool for yes. my own. So I'm putting you down here, and I'm like, I'm just going to use you to get what I want mm -hmm. yeah. out of it. Like, yeah. Icky. All right, so you guys are married. You're in college, right? You're dealing with your stuff. You're dealing with, where did this get dark for you guys? Like, what, what happened? Like, I know, Lori, you said in the past, you said, I am so annoyingly in love with Jesus. Ah, where, where did this get dark for you guys in your story as a couple? Can I just say how we got married, though? Because I, I see the question yeah, marks not... above everyone's head. They're like, wait a minute. She's gay. What happened? Okay, so I'll just explain that really quick. Do it. I'll try not to preach. You're good. <laughs> uh, so here I am in love with Jesus, and I'm literally walking down a path, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to go get my PhD. I'll go be an English professor because all gay women are English professors, I think, or something. But I will go to the West Coast, and I will get my degree, and I'll go teach. And I sensed God's hand on my shoulder saying, I have someone for you. Now, again, to repeat what you said so well of this is not copy-paste. My story, don't go copy-paste on your other LGBTQ friends, same-sex attracted friends. But this was God's call for me. And he said, I have someone for you. And I was like, no. The sass was still working its way out of my system. I can't believe that, Lori. <laughs> and I said, no. And... The strange thing about God is when he calls you to himself, he wants all of you. And so mm -hmm. he didn't call everyone like me to get married to someone of the opposite sex, but he said to me and to Matt, the mode I want you to do the mission to make disciples is as a married woman. God knew the best pathway for me, and he didn't have my heart fall in love with all men. He had my heart connect to Matt. I still experience attractions to the same sex, not toward every single woman, so women, don't be weird, please, I'm begging you, you're not that amazing, but, <laughs> sorry, I the promise, sass is all the, gone. the sass is gone, the, the sass, sass is, is gone. gone, now I repent, but <laughs> I still experience that, this is when I surrender, but God has my heart connect to Matt, and this is the mm. mode we're fulfilling the mission to make disciples, but to your question, when it got dark about seven years in, just gave birth to our second kid, Juliet, and it was the most bizarre thing, but there was something about the scenario. Now, if you guys have had trauma uh, in your life, and you are a parent, or you 
hit an age, you see a kid who is the age that you were when something happened, sometimes that can trigger things. That happened to me is my kids were the age I was when something happened to me and I would just go catatonic in certain phases. And that memory magnetized to my attractions to the same sex that I was happily surrendering to Jesus at that point. But together they looked at Matt, who was not my perpetrator, nor he's very gentle, very wonderful person. But it said, you don't even like men. Why are you with him? And so I went on a silent retreat and really wrestled, which um, I think you're giving away a copy of our book. We are. Okay. Yeah, this is afternoon. Did Quick I just... little pub. Okay. Well... You don't leak anything, you're good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's where our book starts, An Impossible mm-hmm. Marriage, is me really wrestling with, do I want to stay in this marriage? And what is mm-hmm. marriage anyway? Mm-hmm. Matt, for you, okay, so there's a moment in you guys' marriage where you say, let's go back to that spot where you go, I've got to tell... Lori, I've got to ask for her forgiveness. What's going on in, in your mind as you're thinking about that? How does shame play out? How's darkness speaking in, in those places for you? Yeah, I mean, I was terrified. Um, I literally thought I would open up and she would walk away and I would never see my daughter again. Mm. Um, and that's what shame does. Shame is something that causes us to, to completely break relationship. If you knew this about me, you would be gone. Yeah. That is kind of the mindset. And so I was terrified. Um, it was the scariest thing. This is not vulnerable. What we're doing here, <laughs> like I could share my story with any of you. And to be honest, I will probably not see most of you ever again, but it's not going to affect my life. Yeah. But the thought of losing her, the thought of losing my daughter was just gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way I could step through that because I had tried, like, in my head to fight the pornography use and all this stuff on my own. I had my cycle of sin management of just, like, gritting my teeth and, like, abstaining for a time, and that would last for a week or whatever, and then it would be, like, fall back harder. Because I was never answering those heart questions that Lori was talking about. Mm. And so I remember, and I don't, I don't know how you guys deal with, like, the movement of the Spirit and everything, but I, I had... It was one night, we had, we had been just praying through the home. Lori had just sensed some oppression and asked me to get up and pray. And I prayed, God, let there be no spirit in this house that isn't of you. Hmm. Um, thinking like, okay, I did my husbandly duty as the head of the household, <laughs> and therefore I can go back to sleep. <laughs> and she, we go back to bed, and she like falls asleep immediately. It's like a superpower. I, I did not. Um, and I stayed up, like, wrestling with God for two hours, mm. just saying, let me tell anyone else, anyone but her, anyone but her. Mm. And I remember him saying to me, like, Matt, I will not bless you or your family until you admit and confess to the one you have wronged. Oh. And I was terrified, but it was also one of these times where it's like I had been feeling God move more in my life, and he was convicting me. And so there was this sense of God saying, I will be with you. Mm. In the midst of this fear, in the midst of this pain, I will be with you. And so I confess, and it was awful. And I remember the next three days were just kind of spent like this, Mm. (laughs) trying to answer honestly all of the questions that she had for me for the first time. And three days in, I read Psalm 32, And that says, blessed is he whose sins are forgiven and whose heart is no deceit. Mm. 
Um, while I stayed silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I turned and confessed my sins to you. I said, I will not hide my iniquities, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so the day that I read that was also the day that the Lord told Tolori, okay, now it's time to start building Matt back up. Oh. And it was just a very tangible sense, to, like saying to me, like, I told you, mm. I was going to be with you. Yeah. Praise God. What I, what I love about where we are right now in your story, and, and we'll get to like the corporate thing in a bit, like what people around you did to, to help you in this season. Like, but like, so North Canton Chapel, I want you, I want you to hear this, like, what I love the most is this is just like you and Jesus. Like, there's no, oh, I've got to go do the right thing. I've got to go impress the right people. I've got to go say the right thing. I've got, like, that ship has sailed for you long ago at this point. And all you want is what the Lord wants, yeah. which is like such a beautiful thing. I think a lot of people, we never really get there because we're just trying to perform. We're just trying to be the Christian, and we think, like, to look right and to have all the stuff together, if I could just keep everybody, you know, believe in the lie long enough, then eventually it'll be okay. And you guys are going, I don't want to fake that really anymore. You're just desperate to the point where Jesus is calling you and, and speaking to you, and you're following his leadership, which is just such an amazing thing. Um, so what did people do? Because you guys are in church, right? Like, you've yeah. got kids that are around you, right? Like, what did people around you do in this place? Um, not just to make it feel, I don't want to overuse the word safe, but safe is part of the thing. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, how did they like, point you to Jesus? What did they do that was helpful for you? So Matt's pornography confession and his heart healing time preceded my questioning our marriage that by about two or three years. Mm -hmm. So in that season, the people who came alongside us, I like was like, I silenced every woman, especially, because I needed women around me, but who were ready to take me to Man Hater Island. Uh. Very easy you Is to that go a place? there. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we can go there very quickly. Lots of eye rolls, lots of scoffing about tools and farts, etc. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say farts? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Dumbledore farts. I'm out. The gay stuff's fine. <laughs> so I, I just was like, I need not that. I need people who are mm. for our marriage. Mm. And that's actually mm. really what was helpful it, later, three years later, when I was wrestling with our marriage, is I can get a, a ticket. I get a free get out of marriage free card by many Christians, and especially those who are not Christians, because of my default attractions toward women, I could play that card easily. And so what was most helpful is to have closest around us people neither who were like, just don't, don't do the gay thing, nor were like, well, get out, you're, well, be who you are. Hmm. We needed people who on their own, you just hmm. talked about this heart work with Jesus, who on mm -hmm. their own were doing like what y'all are doing, mm -hmm. studying this conversation so that when I'm a bloody mess, I don't have to be educating you mm. about what I'm going through. Well, you already get it. Yep. And so then you can enter the conversation with the right language, et cetera. You don't have to be perfect, but a humility paired with genuine curiosity, paired with study, 
Equal sign, my friend. <laughs> so good. What, what I love, and um, gosh, we could go here for like hours, I feel mm. like. There's, there's, not that there's sides. This is, this is a round conversation, I think. Like, but you could go this way and go, just silence everything and shut up. Yes. Don't ever talk about it. And, and just put a lid on it and cork it. We don't want to hear from you. There's that. And then there's the other thing, which is like, no, just there are no encumbrances. Just go be who you are and live, yes. live that because that's, you know. And what you're saying is like there is this Jesus, like incredibly yes. difficult third way where you have to live in grace and truth. And like that always means tension. Yes. And we hate that. Yeah, like we, we'd rather have something easy. And Jesus is going, well, let me be your easy. And you have to live in this place of grace and, and, and truth. It's really, really a tough place to be. Um, Matt, for you, what did people do for you in this place? And how did, how did, how was this, help, what did people do that was helpful for you? Were they seeing this, were you seeing the same kind of thing? So for me, I mean, this, this season of life was kind of crazy for me where I, I confessed we lost our jobs in California. Not because of that. Okay. Directly. I mean, well, indirectly, that's know, because yeah. my that's job, a thing. my job a thing. performance was suffering because I was caught in this addiction. He was okay. depressed so, from it. So yeah. super, like, sure. I, I would say there was a high correlation, yes, between my addiction and the job loss. And so that happened. Like, we lost our job. We, we moved back to Michigan. And then we go and we, we, we learned about healing prayer, Yeah, which is was really formational. And then we were in these like healing prayer groups that we were not leading, we were just being a part of. Um, and so like, I feel like for me, having that space was, was very instrumental. Um, because, and this is probably the most vulnerable thing I'll say today, um, I don't believe that when people ask me a question, they actually care about the answer. Mm. And so for me to have a space mm. where people were asking a question and then listening and mm. waiting mm. and wanting an answer was telling me something. It was telling me something of my value, which was wow. the same question that pornography was always trying to answer. Mm. Stop. Okay, that, I want to so hit that again. Because we do the Christian fakery thing really well. How are you? I'm good. How can I pray for you? Here's mm -hmm. something. And like we just, but you're saying that's not enough. Like I, that, that, that there's something when somebody just listens mm -hmm. that communicates value to you. Yes. That's huge. How does that connect to what pornography was trying to tell you? Yeah. So good. So I've walked around basically my whole life. I, I have an older brother, 14 months older than me. I felt in his shadow a lot. Um, family history. I love my parents to death. My mom, who passed away four years ago, I mean, was the kindest, like, most, like, doting mom that I could have. But it got to unhealthy levels, if you know what I mean, where, like, I was her purpose, and I felt that. Unhealthy just in his purpose. Yeah, Nothing like, beyond like, that. Yes. like uh, just not feeling like, okay, like, I, I felt like I mattered, or I, I mattered because of what I could give to people. Yeah. Um, and so I walked around with this question of, do I have any value? Am I worth anything? Another part of my story, I was born like six weeks early and I was four pounds, six ounces back in 1985. I was in like an incubator in the hospital for mm. six weeks before my parents could take me home, not being touched, not being held because I was attached to all these tubes. Mm. 
And I remember hearing my parents talk about my story and, and saying how they loved me. Mm. So even when the doctors were saying, like, you might want to abort this child, wow. they were wanting to, like, the, the message they were trying to send was, we loved you so much that that wasn't even, like, on the table. Yeah, yeah. But I heard the doctors said I shouldn't be alive. Wow. And so that became one of these points where I walked around saying, am I worth anything? Am I worth anything? And I felt valued sure. for little moments at a time with pornography, mm -hmm. but then immediately afterward felt so much shame. Yeah, yeah. And so that cycle would just deepen and deepen and deepen. This is, this is something I want us to hear as a church. I really want us to get into this, that, that the stuff that we object to up here, Yes. okay? So like, you know, you can name it. You can go, well, pornography, oh my gosh. And we go, oh, same-sex attraction. We get all these things that are on the surface. Like, you guys do such a good job, and you have even today, of talking about how that is rooted in this very deep core need for which we're created. Yes. And, and when we shame ourselves for these things up here, that shame, like, trickles down, I feel like. And it's mm -hmm. like, we don't, these things never go away. Right. I've never met one human being that doesn't want to feel like they belong. I mean, even if we can't vocalize that, like deeper down, we want to feel belong and accepted. And I guess what separates us as like Christians is we go, yeah, we know who that is. Like <laughs> there's a key to this lock and it ain't me, it's Christ, right? So, so let's do this. Let's, I want to, um, I think that's every like two more questions. I can't believe it's flown, which is insane. Um, so the last two questions first, I want to know where you guys are now and I want to know why Jesus is still worth it for you. Why, why is he worth choosing over anything else? And like, why does he, what is that? Why, why do you choose Jesus? And then, and then second off, what can we do as a church? And I want you to speak to us and also to those online. What can we do as a church um, to so like normalize the conversation around sexuality to where we see Jesus all over this thing? How can this be a safe place mm -hmm. where we can grow into him? So I may start somewhere with that last one because it feeds into the others. Sure. But if while I'm talking, I forget all the questions, <laughs> please tell me. <laughs> so what really, when I was in that wrestling state, do I stay in my marriage and do I go? Um, and again, God willing, you know, with these books, you guys are so kind to give them to families here. Um, you'll hear how we both wrestled with that. But one key ingredient to making this happen and not just like gritting our teeth uh, was honestly theology mm. and what marriage is. When our marriage almost fell apart, I was doing this stage thing like 50 times a year. Mm. I knew all the arguments against same-sex marriage. I knew how to advocate for LGBTQ people. I didn't know how to argue for marriage. Mm. Why is it male and female? And I felt anecdotally, when I would talk to couples, especially when it came to sex, when they would talk about that, I was like, does every couple just secretly hate each other? Like, I'm, I'm very confused. Because <laughs> it's either like, he's doing fine and she's not. And, and so I was like, why, why are we about this marriage thing? Like, we're like mm -hmm. obsessed with marriage and I'm confused. And then through reading um, Francis and Lisa Chan's marriage book and Keller's and everyone, and then other books, marriage books that I chucked across the room, forgive me, uh, but really focusing in on Ephesians 5. Mm. We'll talk about this more later today uh, at the, the seminar. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be united into one. It is a profound mystery talking about Christ and the church. What's a profound mystery? I've heard it said, well, that men and women fall in love. Isn't it just mysterious? <laughs> Hallmark. It's not that. It's not no, that. Uh. The profound mystery is that God, this, the whole Bible can be summed up in four words. God will marry us. God wants to marry us. God wants to be one with us. The Bible starts and ends with a marriage. God and us, how different are we from God? Very. Ephesians 1 says he is far above every ruler and power and authority, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And in Isaiah 56, it says he lives in eternity. What's that even mean? <laughs> and we're little made from dust and beloved us. And God wants to be one with us. Mm. Marriage between man and a woman, it has to be in a man and a woman because men and women are so different. It's an image, this profound mystery is that it's a metaphor of God, his coming together with us. When men and women come together and die to self daily to be one, and yes, produce the fruit of children, God willing, how God can produce the fruit in us. When we come together, this isn't some just sort of good thing to do and put a ring on it and make your lust Christian legal. When men and women die to self to be one, in and through their differences, they're modeling for the world. I loved your video in the kitchen, at the grocery store, and to your neighbors, a picture of the gospel. The top thing y'all can do if God has called you to marriage or to singleness is to honor mm. your spouse and honor others through your sexuality, the way that we engage our sexuality, I think is the top evangelistic tool in 2022. Mm. Mm. If you're dying to self to be one with your spouse, why? <laughs> the world says. Well, and I think to, to add to that, if you have a robust view of marriage, you can also have a robust view of singleness. Preach, yeah. which, Preach, which has not been an option that many people hear about. Yeah. And so we, if we look at marriage as like the, you're now a full-class citizen of the church, like then singleness means you're somehow second class. And, and that's, that's not, not what the goal is. That's not oneness. That's not the unity that you know, we're supposed to be modeling as a church. Yeah. And so to have a robust view of singleness, I, I also think to do just your personal work we all have places where we perform. Mm. We all have places, whether they're kind Good of more man. acceptable or not, mm -hmm. where we are not allowing the grace of God to impact our lives. We are trying to control out of our fear or anxiety to try and establish or attain something. And, and so much of this Christian walk is going not just from this performance-based identity to a grace-based identity, but also to a love-based identity because yeah. God doesn't call us to just sit in grace and say, oh, well, everything's cool and I can do what I want, which mm -hmm. seems to be like a natural progression. There are those among you who say the grace of God allows you to live a moral life. That's from Jude, great book of the Bible, read it. Um, <laughs> we have this notion that when we're under grace, we can choose positive or negative. Mm -hmm. We can run toward our sin. We can run toward Jesus. And that's the place that ultimately we want to go. And as Christians, we should be so much more known for what we are for yes. than what we are against. Oh, man. Preach. There you go.
I'm going to let that be the last word for this morning because it's a super good landing spot. Guys, I want to say thank you, thank you for your vulnerability, your story, your courage, and most of all, like just publicly, I don't feel like this is patronizing to say this. Thank you for loving Jesus yeah. because that's the thing. And that's what I love about you as a brother and a sister. And I think speaking on behalf of us as a church, that's what we love most about you. So thank you. Can we give Matt and Lori just a hand? Yeah. Mm. So this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? You kind of feel that. There's so much more to that. And here's where I want to go for us as a church. And so, band, you guys can come back on, and we're going to pray Obviously, obviously, I want to direct you to workshop this afternoon, not just as like, hey, here's some more stuff, but like to, to equip you. And so if you want some more information, that's where you can go. You can head out um, to 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock this afternoon. We're going to be right here. It's not too late to register. We'd love to see you there. Um, I do believe, um, I believe we never win by silence. The things that we don't want to talk about, we never win when we just shove them under a rug. And if we have the courage to bring them out and hold them up to the light of Christ, um, gosh, the church just gets stronger. The world looks a little bit different. So let me pray for us as we move into worship. Father, we just say thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much for your kindness, for your mercy, for your grace. God, help us to see the, the little fissures and the cracks in our own souls. And God, I know Everybody here, we've got that God-shaped hole. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to fill it with a thousand and one different things. Lord, I just want to say that we love you. Bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.